Thor Ackerlin, and welcome to Video Game Bullshit. This is Jeffrey Wittenhagen. I'm an author of multiple gaming books, including collector's guides for both the Nintendo and Super Nintendo. I'm a huge fan of action RPGs like The Legend of Zelda and obscure systems like the Neo Geo and TurboGrafx-16. And we've got God. Hey, I'm big into uh, no-death runs, high-score runs, uh, collector of all things, vintage and retro. Uh, pretty much anything video game related. I also collect figures, vinyl, VHS, tap handles, old beer signs, and old beer steins. Please call our number, leave a voicemail or a text message at 262-264-VGBS. My dad actually, then he came home with the Super NES Buyer's Guide. And I actually have that sitting in front of me right now. It's got Simon Belmont from CV4 on it, and um, it was in the winter of 1991, it says. So a few months later, after August, a few months pass, it's probably November, December, and I get the buyer's guy. He's probably set me up for Christmas presents, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so um, what's interesting about this buyer's guide, it just says Super NES Buyer's Guide. You can probably find it online. Mm-hmm. The only photo spreads go along with what we talked about with Rewind Mike about Mount Rushmore of NES and SNES gaming is Capcom and Konami and Nintendo. Yeah, for sure. Developer-wise. So the only spreads in the Super NES Buyer's Guide are Nintendo of America, Capcom, and Konami games. <laughs> yep, so that's very interesting. So there's a huge push. I mean, I wonder how much of that nostalgia and how much of those games like kind of shapes our opinions because there are a lot of awesome games from other publishers, but like those always stick out. But it might just be the marketing aspects too. Like Nintendo pushed them, yeah. They're all in the spreads. There's no other company besides those three that are in the main spreads. At the end, they give you other um, recommendations. Mm-hmm. And here's what's funny about re- the recommendations they give you. River City Ransom 2 is on there. Nice. SD Dodgeball, Super Deformed Dodgeball is what it was going to be called in the States. That's on there. So all these games that weren't released but were slated. Those two games are on the Super Famicom, though. But they were never ported to the States. Nope, never got ported. So this it's a really cool magazine to have. It's kind of like the later Nintendo Powers where it's like... Uh, Talking about Flintstones 2 and even like Drax Night Out and stuff where stuff that never got released. There's a bunch of it. I was looking through the other day, like Sim Sim City and Mother and because there was like a upcoming releases section in Nintendo Power eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if always, but Pack Watch wasn't it? Yeah, what's coming up? Yep, that was it. P A K Watch. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And uh, there's like a little magnifying glass or something, a little eye, like looking into it, or I don't yeah, know, maybe yeah. I'm tripping, but um, oh no, you're not. <laughs> so that was the upcoming, and they had t- there was tons of fun stuff. We'll have to do a pack watch episode. 
For sure. Like, I mean, I have my entire run of Nintendo Power, so I can, like, we can literally go through them on the podcast and go, holy shit, here's this episode. Issue one has this. Issue two has this. Like, or whenever they introduce Packwatch. And the other uh, episode with, like, the game reviews and then how we feel about the game, that's totally coming up. Oh, yeah, we got to do a Nintendo Power review type thing. It's amazing. So, yeah, it was. It was just really interesting to see the games that were slated and then the games that actually came out. But I totally agree. The stuff that was pushed was the stuff that was in our consciousness. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And, I mean, now, granted, they are amazing games, but... Sure. <laughs> I mean, and there's a reason why Nintendo pushed them. Yes, gladly. But, like, there's there's a lot of hidden gaming gems on both Nintendo and Super Nintendo. and Yeah, so, like... So with me and rental games and getting um, a lot of used games, like, I had some crazy-ass stuff happen, which is, it's just funny as shit. Yes. Like, I would get uh, rental games, and you could rent to buy, and it was at Wilco. Uh, the grocery store started to carry a video section and video games. And it was crazy, because I got games like Pushover. Mm. The little red guy? It was like ants or something? Yeah, you're like G.I. Ant, and you push uh, down dominoes. It's like a Lemmings-type puzzler? No, you just push dominoes down. So, like, there's literally dominoes, and each one's dominoes will have different symbols on them, and the symbols do different things. Like, one will keep going once you push it once, one will split into two. Like, they all do different little things. And so it's kind of a lemons dichotomy where there's a bunch of little abilities with the dominoes, but it's literally you just push a domino and then it goes down. So I, I used to always love Domino Rally and never could get it as a kid. So pushover was like the next best thing as a kid. For the longest time when I was a kid, I thought pushover meant you were the mean one pushing, but actually pushover means you you're easily pushed upon. Because of that cover, I had the reversed thought of what a pushover definition is. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Because he let it. Because that guy literally pushed over Domino's. Like that was the funny thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, but it's the opposite of the definition of it. Was Sim Ant on SNES too? I can't remember. It was. Yes. Cool, cool. That was another Ant. <laughs> Little Ant game. Great. Oh yeah. Yeah. But like, so so I got that game. Um, that's also how I got uh, Donkey Kong Country Two. Ooh, nice. Yeah. I um I rented Donkey Kong Country One a lot, but when two came, I actually was able to get that one used, and basically got the guide from Nintendo Power. Because back in Nintendo Power days, when you would resubscribe, they would allow you to pick out a strategy guide at that point. Mm-hmm. So amazing. Donkey Kong Country Two was one of them. Um, later on was Super Mario RPG. But you got two. Oh yeah, that was the game that I bought new though, which was amazing. So everyone, Super Mario RPG episode. Oh yeah, and like actually, just recently, uh, there's like a local thrift store that they actually f- I found that they have games and they have my books there now, which is great. <laughs> awesome. And a couple weeks ago, they had Mario RPG and a bunch of Super Nintendo games in the case, and I'm like, well, how much are they? And then like, I'm like, would you just sell me the box? And he's like, yeah, I'll sell you the box for 40 I'm like, okay, dude, I can pay now, but I'm going to be here in a week to do a book signing, which was just like a week ago. And I'm like, I'll just, I'll just get it for me then. Um, he sold the game with the box. Fuck. 
And I'm like, dude, really? I'm like, you're dead to me. You're dead. <laughs> you're dead to me. I had a feeling you were going to say that, too, just because the way the market's going, though. He's like, well, I needed the cash. I'm like, dude, I told you I would have bought it. Like, <laughs> like it's like you had the cash. Like, I could have bought it that day. Like, I had it in the pocket. Like, jeez. That sucks. That's a hard one to get. It is what it is, though. I mean, it's just one that I want because I have the manual in the game. So so the, the shady one. Mm-hmm. The shady story. Yes, here we go. <laughs> hilariousness and it's such a messed up one so i can't remember which way it went but i think it was that i had the game that i got used izzy's quest for the olympic rings and for some reason i loved playing the uh, summer games the olympic summer games okay so me being crazy I um, <laughs> was one of those shady kids, and I swapped the labels. And I didn't swap out the chips, because, you know, that would be too smart, like opening it up and swapping out the chips. I actually just replaced the labels. You could tell, tell that the label was it was refixed. <laughs> How did you just pull it off, like... I just pulled it off. <laughs> just crazy style? <laughs> like, I probably used, like, a hairdryer or something, but, like, it was, like, <laughs> hilarious, so... I swapped that, and they never noticed, and I had a, a copy of, I think it was Summer Games Forever. It's, I was, like, basically breaking world records, and it was fun, and I didn't I didn't care for Izzy's Quest back then. It's actually a pretty good platformer, if you play it, because, it, like, Izzy transforms into different characters and things. It's actually a pretty solid little game, even though it's a little floaty for the controls. But, yes, it was funny, so... I, I took it a step further with the next one. Because if you don't get caught, you, you, you take it a step further. Oh, yeah. I can't remember what the game was, but I, I think it was something like Final Fantasy Mystic Quest or Final... I think it was Final Fantasy 3. And I swapped it out for some really shitty game that I had, like a sports game or something. And obviously they knew. When they got it back and somebody, you know, reported it and he got a little too crazy. And so then they're like, yeah, your uh, accounts, your account is uh, suspended. My mom went crazy and I had to return the game. And <laughs> Apologize and shit. Oh, yeah. That was the last time I ever did anything crazy and brought back the uh, the Olympic game, too. <laughs> so I never heard that story. It's great hearing it for the first time on the cast. Oh, it's such a <laughs> fucked up story. It's like Damn. hilarious. It's like little shady kids. You know, it's like insane. <laughs> yeah, what my friend would do, he would just they would never go back to the store. On his floor you would just see like the blockbuster box and Tom and Jerry. Oh jeez. How long have you had this? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> Some families are just hilarious. <laughs> Dude, yeah, that's just like such a messed up thing though. And it was because I used to rent games so much and I didn't want to take them back and I had these games that I would get from yard sales that were like garbage that I never would play and I was like but I never had games so it was always cool to have them but then I never played them so it was a weird thing. The the other thing that's really cool about the the Super Nintendo though is that like with the rentals and everything I got really crazy into like Mortal Kombat and Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. Oh yeah. And, and more Mortal Kombat 3 and Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 not so much Mortal Kombat 1 or 2. Because those were on the Sega Genesis that I played over at Keenan's house. Yeah, Mortal Kombat 3 I actually got crazy into as well. They had the codes you could put in. You could do, like, the fatalities and shit. Like, one button. One button fatalities. You had the extra combo aspect, which, you know, Killer Instinct helped influence, I would assume. 
but like their combos were a little different. They're pretty cool. You had a lot of more characters, especially in the ultimate one. Um, I, I played that one over at Chip Backy's house, and oh, nice! Crazy thing about the, the Chipster, he was on my live stream last night. Really? Yeah, because like I was talking about backers, and he was like, "Backers, how about Backy?" And I was like, "Oh, hey, what's oh, up?" Oh shit, that's like, amazing! Holy shit, holy shit, wow. holy shit! I was on my live stream, and I saw him. And, that's you know, live stream for the podcasters since this will be in the future. Um, and we're in the past is that, you know, the, the launch of my NES oddities Kickstarter, I did a two hour live stream. So yeah, Chip Baggy, the classic guy that we used to play Super Nintendo and 64 with, like, like he was, came on the live stream. That's super freaking crazy. And I mean, I don't like, we don't chat or that much anymore. You know, pe- people grow apart as you get older. Oh yeah, it's how it's just how it goes. There's no one in high school I hang out with except John. <laughs> yeah, we we need to get we need to try to get the chipster on for a freaking oh, that'd pro, be hilarious. A pro wrestling podcast. Give him an Ahmed Johnson story. Oh dude, <laughs> he was a wrestling extraordinaire. He's also one of the only kids with spice. Hell yeah! So we used to go to his house and he had a cheater box, and we would watch uh, all the pay per views and all the pornos. The Ahmed Johnson package picture over his bed and. <laughs> Yeah, that's where the wrestling was like, man, canoes and speedos and shit. <laughs> WrestleMania challenge. <laughs> <laughs> that game's amazing. That's what I'm saying though. Like we played all the wrestling games at his house though, so that'd be a perfect one. Yeah, he had mastered that game just like classic style, man. He knew all the moves, and WrestleMania challenge was his shit. So let's let's blow our own minds now. And like when we were playing WrestleMania Challenge, this was probably late Super Nintendo, early sixty four era. So we were we were likely still playing Nintendo. Yeah, it was, WCW was still around. I think we wanted to go see EC, his house and go see ECW, didn't we? Yeah, because we watched um, either Living Dangerously ninety eight and Hardcore Heaven, Hardcore Heaven ninety seven. Both and, of them. So this would have been high school. We would have probably been near sixty four era. So we're like, oh, he's got cheater box. Let's go to his house and see what they got. Yeah, I mean, I used to go watch all the pay per views. I mean, we watched the Owen Hart incident. We watched everything live. Like it's craziness. I still remember that bike ride. We rode through Arrowhead, and then on the side of the road on like some gravel, <laughs> we eventually got to his house. Yeah, along along Route Forty One. So fucking dangerous. <laughs> God. And it was, and it's like. 10 miles or... Yeah, that was crazy. Further. We got to go through Arrowhead. That's at least two or three miles by itself. More than that, yeah. Because, I mean, because going through Arrowhead, it's not like you're driving straight through. If you drove straight through, it would be like a couple miles. But, like, you had to go around hills and <laughs> through Killer Hill. and <laughs> I think that day we saw, like, those kids you were talking about who used to be at Arrowhead, like the bad kids. I remember there were, like, two kids who were, like, looking at us. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I was like, huh. That, that looks weird. We just kept going. And yeah, in high, and that would have been 96, 97 was end of junior high, beginning of high school. Like, we were still riding bikes back then. I mean, they didn't have a car until later. Oh, yeah. Like, we were BMX kids flying around and was awesome. outside all the fucking time. It's great. Healthy. See, that was the era. And then uh, eventually, the SNES Mini came out. You have the boxed SNES Mini. You got that in the box, right? I mean, that's how Andrea secured marriage with me, coming, moving in with the Super Nintendo Mini. No. <laughs> <laughs> she had it, that's right. Yeah, she did. She, yeah, she came, um, when she, when she moved in, uh, down in Florida, she came with that, and I was like, holy shit. Now we're getting married. 
Now we're getting married. Well, she, she she said she had the Super Nintendo Mini, but then it, the the box was actually up in the rafters in in the garage at at uh, the parents' house at her parents' house. Good condition. Those boxes are fucking sturdy. Yeah, it's insane though. It's like super cool, and she got it later too. So like some of the games that she brought, like I already had them, but like Link to the Past and a few others. But it was super super cool, and of course she brought Paperboy too. Okay classics that's like later stories for super nintendo because super nintendo really is the console and the gift that keeps on giving and it's really one that we still i still feel like i haven't put enough time into and i just wrote 750 pages on it and i want to put more time into it that's how cool it is i'm trying to think of like rental wise like worst and best experiences Mm. you know my worst so (laughs) (laughs) And just the, with the game itself, like Populous. Oh, okay. With Populous, it's real esoteric. I never figured out like what you have to do to like do anything at all. I remember I, tr- I remember sitting there trying for hours. Wow. I just I don't know. And it's just being a kid or just getting stuck in certain spots uh, in certain games, and you just think like the solution's so easy. I was just didn't see it. I think someday in the podcast. We're going to figure out why I also don't like strategy games. And it's something like that. I don't really recall why I'm so skewed towards them, but there's got to be something like your popular story where it's just something didn't click and made me not like any of them. <laughs> and when it's a rental um, and you have other stuff to do that weekend, so like say we're going to Shakey's for a family reunion or we're doing other stuff, you don't get to spend the entire weekend with the game. It kind of maybe even skews the entire opinion on a game. So say you had the whole weekend to play that and be focused on it, you might have figured it out. But if you don't, and then you got to take the game back, you're like, I'm never playing that again. Yeah, because like now when I think of Populous sitting there Saturday morning Ugh. and it can't get anywhere, and I'm like, okay, um, let's take this back. <laughs> it's just yeah. it's like meant for older people or. I don't know, like, the way John and his dad, they, like, gravitate towards, like, strategy things. It's interesting. When it's like their their mind, like, works to, it figures out those processes immediately, whereas we want to just play some awesome platforming. And... Like Gemfire for Super Nintendo. Like, John could play mm-hmm. that for hours, and it's like, I just don't. I'd rather play, like, Castlevania 4 or something. Well, yeah, it's. I, I just think it's upbringing. I mean, it's got to be it. And the weird thing is, is are there any games like my Lemmings story that you have? Like my Lemmings, my Lemmings stories. I would rent Lemmings as a kid, and I'd love it. And it was either Nintendo, and when I progressed to Super Nintendo, I used to play it. I could get, I could beat every level, and it was amazing. Now when I play it, I don't like it. Really? <laughs> like I just don't care for it anymore. Interesting. It's just, it's just not as fun anymore, and. Like, I, I don't know if it's just I don't want to go through a thousand levels or, or like, maybe in my mind, like, I beat it back in the day, I'm done with it, and I don't really want to go through it anymore, or I just don't remember any of those puzzles. I loved it back in the day, though. I definitely rented it. I didn't get super far. Eventually, once you had to, like, move super fast, it became kind of, like, out of my... You, it became something you had to do like ten times to like figure out. But my friend Dave Hoffman, his dad, was the master at two games: Zelda Two, 
fucking master. If he died, he would reset it. Period. Period. He just reset the system. Because he never would die. He just would do deathless Zelda 2 runs. And he had all the maps memorized in his head and exactly where you have to go. And he had them all drawn out. And he was the master of Lemmings. And he mastered every single fucking level on taxing. I remember he had all the maps, everything. And, yeah, it's just, I think it's more of like, the, the gimmick's fun when you're a kid. And then when you're adult, eventually, if you're a puzzler type of person, then you're going to play it. It's a brilliant game, though. Like, just the idea of it really yeah. is pretty brilliant. But you got to act fast. Like, you got to equip the guys with the umbrellas, and it gets crazy. Well, it's about timing, and especially on Super Nintendo or Nintendo, like, the controls aren't perfect unless you're playing with a mouse. That's, that's where James... And Mike Monday says, the Mario Paint, the Mario Paint. They're like, this is the only game you can play on the SNES with a mouse. <laughs> He's like, did I know? It's like, eh. <laughs> like, dude, there's so many games with the mouse. Like, so bad. Even like Revolution X, you can play with the mouse and it's really fun. <laughs> like I caught, uh, was it Jonathan? Jonathan Riggs. John Riggs uh, wrote a review on funding games and like his whole review is how great of a game it is and he said it would be the best paint game if it incorporated the mouse and i'm like riggs you know my daughter's been is playing it with the mouse right now <laughs> like my da- my daughter's playing it with the mouse i don't know if mine's a hacked rom that allows the enabling he's like oh dude i was he was thinking of a different game when he wrote that part so i'm like that's interesting that he did that huh <laughs> weird yeah some people just don't research like crazy either yeah. Um, or try it. Yeah, but, but he's writing it for it in the book. Like, he was playing it, I think, at the time. I just think he didn't try the mouse. One of the crazy games that actually a lot of people reviewed, which surprised me, um, Lufia 2. Ooh, that one's worth a shit ton. It's worth a shit ton, but I, I, I think I had two or three. Like, Secret of Man, I had, like, four reviews or something. But, like, Lufia 2, I think, had three reviews, which is crazy. Yeah, I, I had the first one. The second one was at Video Palace for like 60 bucks in the box. I just, I'm not like a massive RPG person, so if I was, I would have got it the second time. Yeah, I think that's a prequel to the first one. The rise, It's the rise of the Sinestrals. I don't, I don't think, I, I know it's a prequel. The Sinestrals, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're both, they're both great games, amazing. Oh, fuck yeah. They're gems. If I had infinite time, like, I would literally just play through every awesome RPG, including Japanese fan translations. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think we like action RPGs because we also have the Twitch. Oh, absolutely. So Zelda's a mix between the Twitch platforming, uh, control style, and the immersive world. So that's why we love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, it's why I can't, I can't wait for um, freaking... Mystic Searches to come out on the NES, our buddy Joe Granado to release that, because, I mean, that's action RPG with, like, platforming elements. Well, with an RPG, there's a strain in that, like, okay, so first Final Fantasy, there's, like, nine wolves or nine imps or nine creeps. You can't use your gaming prowess to defeat them. You have to wait for all of them to take their turn and kick your ass and... Yeah. It's just cooler to be empowered, like, Zelda-style. and be like, you know what? No, I'm taking your shit. Bye-bye. I'm going to go behind you. I'm going to go to the right of you and the left of you. Because I can. You're not just stuck with a menu and, like, time. You have to, like, sit there. 
Yeah. See, I don't mind an active weight battle system, um, as long as it's implemented properly where you could avoid damage. I hate just sitting there and getting attacked without the ability to get rid of it. Like, Mario RPG had the timing where you could, like, basically negate damage and empower yourself when you... Like, it had an action aspect to it. You're right. And... Yeah, there's there's other games that are doing that too. I mean, Final Fantasy 15 on the newer system, like there's you do have to wait to attack in certain aspects, but you can move, move out of the way. It was like basically <laughs> with those old RPGs, like the SNES RPGs are actually pretty easy. Like Final Fantasy 2 in America, um, that's really not that hard compared <laughs> to the first one. Well, it just moves faster. It's more streamlined. Yeah, it's not like. You go on the screen, you get attacked by nine guys, and now you're dead. So you obviously have to, like, grind. But in the end, that's what made the NES one more, like, rewarding. Because eventually you could defeat all nine of those guys without breaking a sweat. And then yeah. it was then it was time to move on. So it was more of a time-consuming ordeal. In one of your books, the guy said he finally got serious with Final Fantasy. He said... He got familiar with it when he was in college, because that was the same with me. As a kid, it was, like, way over my head. But Absolutely. the newer SNES games, it's a good segue, like, they were programmed without the malicious intent, right? Yeah, it was that, plus they added the uh, the story dichotomy, where you had a arc, like, you had the whole Cecil, the Dark Knight going to the light, and Kane being... You know, ambiguous, and you had that whole aspect to it where, like, constantly throughout the game, it's moving a story forward. I mean, and they all have names. Like, in the NES, you just, like, name your guys, and you get four characters. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the NES, like, there's not a, a ton that have stories. There are ones that have a full story like that, but, like, there's not a ton, whereas... The, all the Super Nintendo RPGs have that story aspect to it, which I think is why it's such a solid system for them. It's beautiful, it, but I gotta stand up for the NES because you can have Kyle and Jeff and mm-hmm. Eric and John. Customizing is classic. So that's hilarious too. Like, damn it, Eric, come on, the white mage. <laughs> the Ken's always the white mage. Died again. <laughs> yeah. So that's just classic, too. Everything has its awesomeness, but for the Super NES, it, it appealed to many more people. It was more of a pick-up-and-play, Yeah. Uh, whereas NES Final Fantasy would destroy you where you stood and kind of just laugh at your ass, your pile of ashes, you know? Yeah. Just decimation station, where later on, uh, like I, I had mentioned a long time ago, I don't know when, but a lot of Super Nintendo games I, I could beat. Like, it was they were beatable if I played them long enough, where some NES games at Nintendo Hard, it was way different. Yeah, Super NES was more on like a normal scale, where they weren't like balls hard. Some were. Well, there's that, plus like by the time you played the Super Nintendo, your skills had progressed to the point where like you were getting really good at games.
there's a lot of those shitty um, mascot platformers that you would play, like Awesome Possum and Zero the Kamikaze Squirrel, and like they're not terrible, and we give them the benefit of the doubt now, but like comparatively to a Mario world, like it's not it didn't even hold a candle. And the ones I think of, like Roadrunner, was real slippery. Yeah, like it's some of them are. are Really bad. Your Looney Tunes, like Speedy Gonzales. Wizard of Oz, like, they didn't even have the collision detection right on the platforms. Yeah, that's like AVGN, like, style, right? Yeah, exactly. But, but like, like the ones that I mentioned, the platform, like, the those ones, they're not terrible. But you'd have ones like Beavis and Butthead. Oh, God. Uh, like, just not good. Uh, Animaniacs was, like, lacking. Could have been amazing. It's just lacking. You know what was awesome? Buster Bus Loose. Yes. Konami. I highly, highly, highly recommend that game. It's a platformer. Every level's different. There's like a space level, a western level, a sports level, and it's Konami, so it's super well programmed. I kind of consider that the third game in the trilogy, because you also had one and two on Nintendo, and they're both solid platformers, too. That, that game is like a four or five star. Nice. Easy. Yeah, I, w- I, w- I would probably give it an A. We might do that for bullshit homework sometime. Well, it's really fun because there's many games, too, that you play between the levels. And there's it's almost like Final Fantasy VII, how there's little gimmicky games and little like side quests that you do throughout the game. Yeah, no, there is. like, And the Genesis version, which was a different name, but it was also a platformer, didn't have that. It reminded me a little bit like Rockin' Cats, too, or just had that, like, fun element to it where they tried to, like, entertain you throughout, but it actually works when you know how to do it, when you know how to, like, pass the little trials. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I remember there's, um, like, a train level that was pretty tough. It was, like, a moving train, and there's, like, all this crazy shit going on, but like double, triple scrolling. Oh yeah, that's the Konami style too. The um, Parallax Massacre. I think SNES with like Castlevania Four is like seven or eight layers at one point. And Mode Seven on top of it. Yeah, the Mode Seven boss, and when you're hanging in the dungeon yeah. at that one part, where the screen like rotates. Konami is the masters of programming back then. Oh God, yeah. One of those, like, weird things how Konami, Capcom, and Nintendo were, like, they were just in each other's pockets. Well, you you gotta assume, like, especially looking at Nintendo Power and the catalogs and everything, like, Konami and Capcom just had to have paid the biggest ad share, like, thinking about it. And then Square with the RPGs, like, they definitely got highlighted a lot for Super Nintendo. And those have really gone up, I mean, especially if you have the boxes for those RPGs, make a killing off that shit, like, at the conventions. Absolutely. They're just, like, gouging people, man. <laughs> $200, and just, it's just nuts. So, um, Electronic Gaming Monthly was actually the ones who produced the Super NES Buyer's Guide, just for anyone listening. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I'm just looking through it right now. It's, like, they do an introduction to the Super SNES... System, the games, controls, I go through all of it. They call it Super Mario 4 in this magazine. It's actually the name of it in Japan, Super Mario 4, Super Mario World. Like, it has the 4 in it. It's weird. So it looks like, yeah, they're taking off 
whatever is in Japan at the time. Ultraman, jeez. Yeah. That game was kind of crazy. It took so long to kill the bosses. Yeah, watching that one on the classic Game Center CX episode with Arena. Oh, yeah, because he's, he's huge in Japan, Ultraman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Lambeer's Combat Basketball. You remember that? <laughs> yes, and it's, I didn't like it. <laughs> Remind me of the Contra levels that were, like, overhead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and like, that combined with, like, American Gladiators, like, the little ball game. <laughs> That's in here, too. That was another pretty piss poor. Yeah, I did not like that. I think that game is, like, 12-player alternating or some ridiculous amount. Like, Oh, my God. The fuck? <laughs> How'd you even do that? I figured it out for the book. Like, you just... Because you, you swap out the controller. They don't play all together, so you just... Oh, that makes sense. Alternating, yeah. It's like... That takes forever. <laughs> like, there's only a few games that have, like, that many, but, like, I broke out all those. Like, that's when I was playing the games, I'd note that. It's like... <laughs> crazy though so like you know like oh american gladiators has a million players so you can if you have your friends over you can torture them <laughs> <laughs> it'll take a long time too yeah for sure <laughs> i tried to get through like one event with the with all the players and it took forever <laughs> yeah just to like see just to mess around well and like the controls like that's a classic game where it doesn't tell you how to play the mini games so this is all essentially mini games and it doesn't tell you how to, and then you're sitting there trying. Even within, like, 12 turns or however many turns it was, like, I still couldn't figure out the game. God. Like, it was just not fun. Yeah, that's the thing. There is actually a Super R-Type spread in here. It's the only non-Capcom Konami <laughs> company, the uh, IREM. IREM, yeah. Yeah, and that was probably the hardest game up to that point cause that I had, because you get it once, and that was your toast. You had to start the whole level over, which almost I prefer, because Gradius, like, who wants to start level halfway, you're already, like, fuck. Yeah, that's the one thing with a lot of the horizontal shooters, is if you're not perfect at the game and you lose all your power-ups, it's it makes the game ridiculous, and it's it's no fun at that point, because the, the fun part is, is getting powered up and, like, destroying everything. So if you can't get powered up, then the game's kind of, like, just handicapped. It's not fun. Well, then it's like a perfectionist, like, romp. Yeah, which turns into a different type of game. Yeah, it's for someone who can memorize every little thing. and But that was always a problem with sh- uh, shoot-em-ups, was they were really punishing. So you couldn't enjoy them as a kid, like, yeah. like a platformer. I always like the the uh, the top down. So, did you get a Super Game Boy back in the day? Eventually, I did get one. Cause I did as well. Yeah, um, I don't know if I got it like a long time after, but I do have the box, so I definitely bought it new. Big or small? Small. I wish I had the big box. Me too. Oh, I had man. the small box as well, and like later, I got the big box. So when um. We did our flea market romps in Plymouth back in the day in the middle of cornfields in Indiana. Went outside for a uh, really hot auction, and I got Super Nintendo box and the uh, 64 box and Super Game Boy and Mario Paint, I think, all in the same lot for like 50 bucks or something. Oh, yeah. That was super hot. Oh, my God. Almost died that day. Almost yeah, you were- died. 
You are, you are not one of the elements. Yeah. Just the heat. I like the cold. I love I love it when it's like freezing. I'm like a north person all the way. I just hate sweating and <laughs> but <laughs> I, I always felt like the for the SNES Castlevania Four was like the the premier like beautiful title. So that was like their showcase title is what I felt. Uh Castlevania Four and Super Mario World. And Contra three. Well, like for the launch, I would definitely, I would definitely say that you know, Vania Four showed off some of the, you know, the most beautiful graphics. But like, by the time I was getting it, though, that was Donkey Kong Country was coming out. So like, that to me was like, you know, Super Nintendo was basically like killing it because you had that and Killer Instinct and Mario RPG and all this shit came out like as I had my system within the year or two that I had it. Like, it was just madness. We need to mention that um, there was that 3D that Rare developed where Union Racers has it, Donkey Kong Country Games, uh, Killer Instinct, where there's, like, a 3D texturing. Yeah, they were taking um, models and scanning them, and the scanning was rendering it into the Super Nintendo graphics. Super Mario RPG, too. Mm Mm-hmm. And they were cool, and it's crazy if you look at the actual pixels of Mario for Super Mario RPG. Like, I was doing a Perler for it, and it was insane because doing the Mario Perler, there was, like, weird off-colors, like a green or some other stuff, because it literally, when when they scanned it in, they just left it and put it in the system. They didn't, like, go through and clean up the pixels at all. Like, I don't know if they could go into, like, paint and clean up the pixels one by one or anything. It didn't seem like they could. So you look in it, like the it looks weird. When you clean up the pixels, then it looks perfect. Wow. Yeah, because like when I did the perler, I'm like, well, I'm not gonna put this green or purple or whatever the hell it is on him. I'm just gonna leave it the classic Mario colors, and mine looks perfect. Shadowing or some kind of little effect. It could even be like a dust particle that got scanned, <laughs> just so, <laughs> you know, it just reflect refracted in the light, kind of like ghosts little orbs do on cameras oh yeah Yeah, same thing like it's just been the camera shitty camera lens even who knows like it's even the best stuff back then is like horrible now yeah my mom taking some picture and she's like oh look at these orbs and i was like dude there's the orbs in the three of these pictures it's debunked it's just a refraction of light like why it wouldn't be in three different pictures yeah in the same exact spot so debunked Debunked. That's funny, though. <laughs> yeah, like, a ghost wouldn't just sit there for, like, ten minutes. Yeah, and it's it's just dust used to, like, just magnifies in the camera lens to show, like, huge. But it's just, like, it's funny as, like, that could have been it, but they didn't take the time, and, like, it could have just been that one sprite. But basically, if I'm looking at it, like, I'm making a game nowadays, I'm going to make sure everything's pixel perfect. Like, why not? Well, that's where the benchmark should be. I mean, that's the whole perfectionist mentality. If I can make it perfect, I, I will try, you know, to my ability. Like, I should. If I don't, then I probably shouldn't be doing that and leave it to the masters. So, um, what kind of final thoughts do you have on the Super Nintendo? Because we've talked about a lot of aspects. We didn't even talk crazy about it, and we're almost at like a, a hour 45 on the episode, which is crazy. It's awesome. 
Like, we'd scratch the surface, I feel like. Yeah, we have lots more. I'm thankful, really, I guess, that I was able to have it so early. Yeah, you had a distinct advantage, which is awesome. Just kind of, like, watch just the whole deal unfolded. Um, just the big thing to me was transitioning how much easier the games were than the NES than the NES ones. Now, now the question is, is did you completely pack away and put in a closet your Nintendo, or did you have it next to it and went back and forth to it? Well, I, yeah, I definitely had it next to it, and um, I was still renting NES games at the time, so it, it wasn't like you know one thing's done, you know, on to the next. I also had uh, my there was Atari twenty six hundred I had for a while. Yeah. When I was a kid, that's when I learned you could plug in the Genesis, so I had my Genesis there as well. Well, Genesis episode. I ended up giving the Atari to Randy. It's, I don't even know why. I don't know. I don't even know how that was. It was almost like my mom wanted me to test it. I fell in love with it, and then it was like, all right, let's give it to him. I got enough stuff. I don't know. <laughs> um, also, at the time, Atari 2600 was very... I had Pac-Man, so it was like... Uh, this is okay, but I think, you know, I didn't really see the forest or the trees. Nowadays, I would have kept it, you know, obviously. Oh, yeah, but... But it was just kind of like, well, I'm not re- I'm not really playing that very much, and it works, so let's give it to someone else. Of course, you know, they fucking probably pissed on it and threw it out the fucking window. Of course. So, I should have kept it anyway. Sold it for Coke. Yeah, yeah, for a fucking small line of nothing. See, that's the crazy thing is, like, the way that I progressed with systems, I kind of shelved them. I didn't get rid of them, but I shelved them, like, put them in a box or whatever, because, like, we moved from the hand-me-down Atari 2600 and my brother's Commodore to the Nintendo, which I got late, and then played very late, into, and then I got the Super Nintendo... Um, I only played the Super Nintendo for a few years and then moved to the 64, and I don't really remember playing a ton of Super Nintendo when the 64 came out. Um, now, I do remember at the beginning, after I would like master Mario 64, there was and there was like shit out, so I remember renting like Dirt Tra- Tracks FX in a few games near the end of the life cycle. Yeah, because I had, like, the game room. I just had a... We call it the video room. Yeah. Yeah, so I always... My whole life, I always had all my systems hooked up. Um, there were just times where, you know, in high school, where you get in the, like, smoking weed and you get in the chicks and shit, where you're just not at home. You know, you're out cruising with your buddies, getting high or out, you know, getting laid or whatever. So you just don't... <laughs> you're, like, on to a whole different... But those games were still there they were still always hooked up it just i may not have touched them for a few months here and there (laughs) they were always there yeah they always will be and and that was the thing like i i still like even when i was doing deviant things i still played games too whether it was like play like once in a blue moon or every weekend or every night like it's they're always played and looking at what I have hooked up in my room right now is, so I got Genesis, Nintendo, PC Engine, uh, Famicom, and then Super Nintendo. So basically, Super Nintendo was the last system 
in its in that span of time for that generation because PC Engine had already been out, you know, Genesis was already out. Yeah. So I would say the SNES is like the last thing that came out that's the most influential on me. Interesting. Everything else after that, PlayStation, N64, PS2, that wasn't nearly as influential as Super Mario World, Killer Instinct, Donkey Kong Country, uh, Contra 3, Castlevania 4. Nothing could touch that except the NES, you know, playing the original Contra, the original Zelda. It's held up, too, throughout the years. It always will. And get that shit, track it down while you can. Uh, I did want to mention, too, the one that I got, the initial one, got really yellow, but I never cracked that one. Um, there's a lot of cracks, though, like that I would see in the later, the non-yellowing consoles. Um, they're real brittle. Weird. And I can't, I can't say much for the yellowing consoles, if they were brittle or not. I always treated my shit right, but I can't tell you how many, when, when like, me and you were hunting, how many I would find that were always had a crack in the front or the back, the SNES, the shell. Yeah. What, what's, what's interesting is that the kiosk that I got, the Super Nintendo kiosk, when I was in Miami, um, the Super Nintendo that was in it had really bad yellowing. And the yellowing wasn't from smoke or anything. It was just from the way it was, the plastic was made at the, at the actual factor. Yeah, it's oxidation. Mm-hmm. Basically, if it's... Um, exposed to oxygen, that's all it needs. But, like, this console is a special one because it has a reset switch soldered into the motherboard that comes out the bottom. So, like, they can't be replicated, yet it's a yellowing console. So that's one where, like, I don't know of any of those that are the second version that aren't the yellowing ones. So that's super interesting that, like, that version, that was the only yellowing one that I've ever had. Because, you know, I got my Super Nintendo later, so mine never yellowed. There's a way you, like, dip it in something to get rid of it. I think semen and cow blood or something. <laughs> yeah, and do a spell and a ritual and shit. Give it a load. Hopefully you'll get lucky. <laughs> Play some Limp Biscuit on it, you know. <laughs> That's right. It's like <laughs> it whitens right up. <laughs> but I never tried it. There's videos on it, though. Yeah, it's called Retro Bright or something like that, and... I've heard that that also, um, while it whitens it, it actually removes a layer of the plastic so that it becomes brittle. So Probably. Kind of like Magic Eraser. Yeah, it removes the texture, too. So I don't know. I, I could be completely skewed, but then again, I just it's also the same thing where people are like, don't play burned discs in your systems. It's going to ruin them. Yet, yeah, mine have never been ruined, ever, like in your disc-based system. They say that the, the, the burn games... They're not burn the exact same way the data that the laser has to do extra work and all this extra stuff. It's so much a weirdness, but oh, like it heats it overheats and fries. Yeah, never had it happen. And of course, you know, CD based with Super Nintendo, Super Nintendo CD, um, and the the Diebolds are the ones who got a hold of the uh, prototype of that. They found it that the CEO of Sony got rid of it. It ended up in an estate sale, I think, in Ohio, where Terry Diebold picked it up, and his son found it later in an attic. And now they're touring the country, showing off this the console at conventions, which to me is crazy. 
that they were able to find a um like in by just finding a rare item now they're you know they're the sideshow it's crazy but on the other side i'm happy that it was them because if it would have been like one of us even it'd be sitting in my collection and i wouldn't tour it around just, I'm just glad that, you know, they're, they're sharing the history with gamers across the world. Like, it's pretty amazing, actually. I think of Dave Brooks, how no one believed him in our interview episode. He's like, no one believed me that that existed. It's like, I told I told people for years, no one believed me. Well, the, the best part was, is when Dave was at, where I met him, was at Replay FX. And that was in Pittsburgh last year and he he somehow contacted me before that but like the diebolds were there with the prototype and dave told me oh yeah i had that on my my desk and you know he's telling me all this crazy shit and if you don't know the guy you you would think like well this guy's making all this up um obviously he knows so much stuff and if you look back on forums and look him up like he completely checks out like i we never even looked him up until we interviewed him just to to see where, like, get some good questions, but, um, but, like, the Diables were like, yeah, he's, he never did, he's, he's lying. Yeah, he's pretty sure that there are multiples, too, so, um, the other thing that's funny is that it must have been the son, the Diebold son, who posted the video, he's waving it around and shit, people uh, in the comments are having, like, heart attacks, like, <laughs> oh my god, like, this thing should be in a fucking glass case, what are you doing? Waving it around in front of the camera, you're gonna drop that shit, you idiot. Was, <laughs> so it was like it was almost like the wrong people got a hold of it. Yeah, someone had like a bunch of kiosks that they toured around. That'd be amazing. That that'd be ridiculous too. Uh, Tender World Championships stuff, like stuff that's part that has a history to it. That's the stuff that I like. Yeah, because those kiosks are like freaking nuts. Because we played on those at Toys R Us, like I played Donkey Kong Country on the kiosk, you know, like. Well, and that's just it. So it has a part of your history in it, into it. Yeah. So, um, well, how about you? Any final comments? Well, I would just say that you know it's an interesting dichotomy that you know you came in at the beginning, I came in near the end, and basically like coming in at at different aspects, we still have the same love and nostalgia for the system. I just think that, like, goes hand-in-hand hand with the quality of the Super Nintendo, like, how good of a system is, how well it's held up, how well the artwork has, you know, maintained nostalgia value. It's just a really solid system. Thank you for listening to VGBS. We appreciate everybody taking the time to get through this whole uh, arduous podcast. We love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to correspond with us, you can email us at vgbspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a phone number. It is 262264BGBS. You can leave us a voicemail, shoot us a text message. Um, whatever you want to do, correspond. Also, comment on us. Shoot us a message on Facebook, Twitter, Google+. Plus. We love hearing what people um, think about the podcast. All right, see you later. Woo! Later!